Now, let me ask you a question. Is anybody, and I'm serious about this question, you've come to church on a Wednesday night, not the best weather, and we have tremendous worship, and we're about to study the Bible for the next few minutes, and I want to just ask this honest, honest question. Is there anybody here tonight who would like a fresh word from God? Let me ask this question. Is there anybody here tonight, before you left your house, you've worked all day, you've run your kids everywhere they're going, you've done whatever you've done, and it got to be about 6 o'clock, and you said, well, what are we going to do this evening? We can go home and have dinner and watch the Wheel of Fortune or something else on television, or, or we can go to church. And you made the decision to come to church. Those watching at home tonight, you have made the decision to be a part of this service when you could be watching something else on your television or doing something else. And I've just asked the question, does anybody want a word from God? And we say, yeah, that'd be great. But my next question is, when you made the decision to come to church tonight, and don't answer this, but just answer it silently. When you made the decision to come to church tonight, did you say in your heart, I'm going to church tonight, not just because it's the right thing to do, not just because my spouse wanted me to go, or not just because I always go. None of those are bad reasons to go to church. But I'm wondering tonight, did anybody around 6 o'clock say, I'm going to church tonight because I need a word from God, and I believe tonight down at First Baptist, God has something to say to me. Now, I don't know if that's how you came tonight, but I know this. That's how we should come to church every time we come to church, on Sunday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, whenever it is, knowing and believing that when we open God's Word, it is God who will be speaking to us. Now, for the last two Wednesday nights, my dad has been preaching a tremendously helpful and practical series of messages, or he's begun a series of messages on the Holy Spirit. And so tonight, he had asked me to preach tonight, and then again next Wednesday night, which I'm glad to do. But I want to just kind of continue in the vein of what he is talking about. And so tonight, the subject is the Holy Spirit. When you leave here and go home and maybe go to work tomorrow, and you're talking about, what was it, church tonight? What did they preach on? The sermon was about the Holy Spirit. So at least we're all together so far, right? That's what this is going to be about, the Holy Spirit. And I want to say this, of all the gifts that God has ever given us, the greatest gift by far is the Holy Spirit. But you know, sometimes in life, you can receive a gift and not make the most of it. Sometimes we receive a gift and we don't understand the value of the gift. Somebody may give us something that is of great value and we look at it and we ourselves don't treasure the gift because we don't recognize the value of the gift. Sometimes somebody can give you a gift. This would certainly be true if it was a technological type gift. And you look at the gift and you don't understand the gift. And so for you, the gift never becomes as meaningful as it could be because you, you just don't understand it. Sometimes somebody can give you a gift, and it never really means much to you. You never really treasure it because you don't really do much with it. You, maybe they give you some clothes. You really don't wear that outfit that much. And so you got the gift, but it never really did anything. I think sometimes the Holy Spirit is like that. God has given to us the Holy Spirit. And yet sometimes we don't value him as we should. Sometimes we don't understand what we received when we received the Holy Spirit. And I think that's a big part of our problem. And then sometimes when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think we're just so busy 
doing other things and living our life that kind of like a, a shirt or an outfit that somebody gave us for Christmas. It's nice, and we intended to get around to, to wearing it, and yet for whatever reason, we never did. And so the Holy Spirit doesn't do as much for us in our daily lives as he could. Friend, I want to say to you tonight, the Christian life is not just about going to heaven when we die, although we thank God for that part of it. The Christian life is about living a different life down here on this earth, and that happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you can do two things at once tonight, if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Leviticus, chapter number 23, I want to show you something interesting there in just a few minutes, and then Acts chapter 2, a passage in the Old Testament and a passage in the New. Leviticus chapter 23 and then Acts chapter 2. I want to kind of back in tonight to our discussion on the Holy Spirit. You know, one thing we know about Jesus, and the old hymn writer had this one right, the longer we serve him, the sweeter he grows. The farther we go down the road with Jesus, the better he gets. Even in the New Testament, we see that progression. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is described as the good shepherd. In Hebrews, he is described as the great shepherd. In 1 Peter, he is described as the chief Shepherd, good, great chief. There's a progression. There's an improvement. The farther we go with Jesus, the better he gets. Now, we know that in the Christian life, in the Christian calendar each year, there are three major celebrations. There's Christmas, there's Easter, and there's Pentecost. On Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Christ. On Easter, we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I'm grouping all that together and calling it Easter. And then at Pentecost, we celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, you notice on your outline tonight that I've printed out something that is very interesting. At least this concept has always been interesting to me. Bethlehem, that is the birth of Christ, means this. It means God with us. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, that's what the angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so when Jesus was born, God came to the earth. We've just celebrated that a couple of months ago. And now God is with his people. Easter, what is Easter all about? Well, Easter, we talk about the death of Christ. We talk about Calvary. I'm just grouping all that together. If Bethlehem means that God is with us, Calvary means that God is for us. You know, somebody can be with you and not be for you. Somebody can be with you and be against you. That's what we call a traitor or a backstabber or a Benedict Arnold or a Judas. They're, they're with you, but they're not for you. They're against you. They're working against you. Many times you don't even know that that's happening. That was the case in Je with Jesus and Judas. Judas and Jesus were with each other for three years. But Judas, while he was with Jesus, he wasn't for Jesus, Judas was for himself. Romans 8, 31, if God be for us, who can be against us? And on Calvary, what do we see? We see that God is working for us. He's taking our sins. He's paying that debt that God is on our side, and God is helping us out. Bethlehem, God with us. Calvary, God for us. Pentecost, what does that mean? It means God in us. You see, the farther we go with God, the better he gets. He starts out, he's with us, but we travel with him. Now we find out, not only is he with me, he's for me. He's not a traitor. He's my greatest friend, my most loyal companion. But we keep going, and now at Pentecost, now with the coming of the Holy Spirit, God has come to live 
on the inside of us. He's not just with us. He's not just for us. Now he is in us. Now, as we think about Pentecost, let's go first to Acts chapter 2. This is familiar. What we're going to look at in Leviticus 23 is not as familiar, but Acts 2 is. Beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. The disciples were in the upper room uh, praying. And on the day of Pentecost, and that word literally means 50th, 50th. Pentecost is, of course, a Greek word, and it means 50th. This day that is being described here was the 50th day after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was 50 days after Easter. And the disciples were in the upper room, and they were praying, and the Holy Spirit came. And if we read that chapter, we would see that he came to indwell those believers. Now, go back to Luke, I mean, I'm sorry, Leviticus chapter 23, and I want us to see Uh, a little bit of the background of Pentecost. Leviticus chapter 23 describes for us seven different Old Testament feasts. And it would be an interesting seven-week series of sermons to do a sermon on each feast because each one of these feasts describes a different aspect of the work and ministry of Jesus Christ. For example, beginning in verse 4, we read about the feast of Passover. That's That was symbolic of Christ dying for our sins. Uh, Beginning in verse 9, the feast of first fruits, when they would bring the very first fruits to the priest, and they would offer those up as a sacrifice. And the New Testament tells us that Jesus, in the resurrection, is the first fruits. He came out of that grave first. He's the first fruits of those who have died, and uh, we follow his example. But we come to verse 15, and we read about the feast of weeks. In the Old Testament, Pentecost was called the Feast of Weeks. It happened seven weeks uh, and one day after the Easter celebration, after the Passover celebration, and 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. Look beginning in verse 15. And you shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf and the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. So, uh, seven weeks plus one day after the Sabbath. Remember, Jesus crucified on a Friday, and then there was the Sabbath, and then there was the first day of the week, Sunday, the celebration of first fruits, so that Jesus came out of the grave on that day, the, the first fruits. Fifty days after this, we're told about the Feast of Weeks. And that's when, after the crops had come in and more people had the things that had been growing, they could bring their offerings to the priest and offer them up as a sacrifice. And so the Feast of Weeks and Pentecost is the same feast. It's 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits, and that is when the Holy Spirit came down. Now, you should listen and say amen. After Jesus came back from the grave... The Bible says that for 40 days he remained on this earth, right? We've talked about that through the years. All the different encounters that Jesus had with all the different people, the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus for those 40 days. And then he went back to heaven. Okay, so from the day he went back to heaven until the day the Holy Spirit came down, there were 10 days. 50 minus 40 is 10. There were 10 days that the disciples didn't have Jesus 
in any form. He was not with them, and he certainly had not come to live in them yet. But as someone has said, at the end of those 10 days, this is an interesting way to say it, the disciples got Jesus back. And they got him back in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, those 10 days, to me, would have been long days and difficult days, you know, thinking Jesus has left and he hadn't yet come back. But he did come back in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go to the Gospel of John, and I hope that background was somewhat interesting. And uh, now let's just dive right in straight on with the idea of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 16, Jesus was talking to his disciples about the Holy Spirit, and he says this, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. My dad's been talking about the parakletos. He's talked about that the last week. The Holy Spirit, the counselor, the comforter, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you. Now watch this. And will be in you. And so Jesus is saying that the Father is going to send the helper, the comfort, the comforter, the counselor, the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of us. But look in verse 18. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So at first he says, the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to live in you. And then he says, I will come to you myself. So who, here's the question. Who's living in us, Jesus or the Holy Spirit? And the answer is yes, both. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's Christ in us, but he's in a different form, in a different person than when he was walking on the earth. He is in the person of the Holy Spirit. And that's why some say after 10 days... The disciples got Jesus back. It's just that they got him back in a different form in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm telling you some things you already know. You know that when you were saved, the Holy Spirit came to live on the inside of you. You know that, and you know that he's there. And no doubt you love the Holy Spirit, and you're grateful to have him in your life, Jesus in the person of the Holy Spirit. But I wonder tonight, am I the only person here? who has ever had this thought run through my mind. If I, here's the thought. I'm grateful to have the Holy Spirit, but if I could only have had Jesus, if I could only have Jesus in the flesh like those disciples had, to know when I drove to church tonight that Jesus, to be able to look to my right and there sits Jesus, to walk down the hall tonight out of the office and to come up on this platform tonight and walk up here and to know visually that when I stand up here for the next 30 minutes and talk that Jesus Christ is standing right here with me. Or if I'm going through a problem in my life and maybe I'm afraid, scared, or worried about it, and I could just say, well, here's Jesus. What in the world is there to be worried about? I just wonder, am I the only person here tonight who has thought, if I could have just had Je- if I could just have Jesus... I don't think I would worry about it. I don't think I'm the only person who's thought that. I think we've all thought that. If I could just have Jesus. Friend, let me say to myself and to you, we have Jesus. We just have him in another form. We have him in our hearts, in the person of the Holy Spirit. We cannot see him. Now, that's to our disadvantage. 
We look at this and we say, well, they could see Jesus. I cannot see Jesus. So they had an advantage over me. They had a visual advantage over us. But according to Jesus, we have advantages over them. Now go to chapter 16. This is one of my favorite verses. My dad used it last Wednesday night in his sermon. I'm touching back on it again tonight. Jesus is talking to his disciples about the fact that he's going to be leaving them. He's going to be going away from them. But again, he's coming back. In fact, if you go back to chapter 14, verse 23, before we get to 16, verse 7. Verse 14, 23, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. Now watch this. And we, who is we? Jesus and the Father. We will come to him and make our home with him. If you're saved, According to Jesus, not only do you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you have Jesus living in you, and you have the Father living in you, all in the person of the Holy Spirit. It's deep. It's, I can't explain it any better than that. I don't fully understand it. But living in my heart, you can't see it tonight, but living in my heart is the Holy Spirit. And that includes Jesus but it also includes God the Father. Jesus said, we will come, the Father and I will come and make our home with the person who is saved. Now, back to 16 and verse 7, because this is the whole idea of sometimes we think, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just see him, then I wouldn't worry about anything. Then I would have the advantage. Look what Jesus said. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, in another place, Jesus said, the Father will send him. Now, he said, I will send him. Jesus said, I will come to you. The Father and I will come to you. There's just one God, three persons, but just one God. All three members of the Trinity are living in our hearts if we've been saved. And Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, it is to our advantage to have him living in our hearts in the person of the Holy Spirit. It is better for us to have Jesus living in us than it would be to have Jesus in the flesh right next to us. And yet I wonder tonight, how many of us really believe that? How many of us really believe, how many tonight, if God gave you the option and said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to give you the option, beginning tonight and for the rest of your life, you can either keep me in you, in the person of the Holy Spirit, or I'll make it an exception for you. I will remove myself from your heart, and I will give you Jesus in the flesh, and from now to the day you die... He'll be with you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you'll always be able to see him, and you can always touch him, and you can always hear him, and you will know that he's always there. I wonder not just amongst us tonight. I wonder the Christian community at large, how many Christians would say, I opt for option B? Because with option B, at least I can see him. I believe I'll take that. God might say, okay, that's what you can have. But what he's saying, that's a made-up illustration, but what he's saying here in Scripture is, Option A is better for you. It's better for you to have Jesus in your heart, in the person of the Holy Spirit, than it would be to have him in 
the flesh. And so, at least for me, I read that, I think about that, and I ask this question to myself. How in the world, how in the world is that true? How is it to my advantage? Look at the next little heading we've put in your outline tonight. Here's the question. Why is it better to have the Holy Spirit living in us than it would be to have Jesus living beside us? I mean, just play like you had the option. And God is saying to you, before you choose, remember It's better to have the Holy Spirit living in you than it would be to have Jesus living beside you. Well, I want to mention three reasons for that tonight. First of all, there's a practical reason. There's a practical reason. What about this? If Jesus, if I had Jesus in the flesh with me when I went home tonight, here's what that would mean to you. It would mean you couldn't have him because he can't be in two places at the same time. He certainly can't be in 200 places at the same time, and he certainly couldn't be in millions of places at the same time. Even when Jesus was on the earth, if he was in Galilee, he was in Galilee. If he was in Jerusalem, he was in Jerusalem. Samaria, Samaria. He was in all those places at the same time. I was thinking about this. Let's play like Jesus. I had him in the flesh, and he's with me. And yet tonight about 10 o'clock, he says to me, John, now your neighbor has had a death in the family. And they're sad. And so I'm going to walk next door and spend about a half hour, 45 minutes, comforting them and being with them and helping them. And so what would I, what can you say to Jesus? I mean, I would say, well, absolutely. That's what you need to do. And so Jesus would walk out my front door and walk to my neighbor's house. Now, for the next 45 minutes, Jesus would be next door, but I would no longer have Jesus in the flesh. Now, what about tomorrow if Jesus said to me, John, I'm enjoying spending the time with you, and, and, and it's just been great fellowship and, and being with you in your home, but there's a family in Dallas, and they're really going through it hard. I, I've got to go to Dallas. I'll be back on Tuesday, but I've got to go minister to this family. What am I going to say to Jesus? Jesus, I mean, you've got to go to Dallas, you've got to go. So he goes to Dallas. Well, while he's in Dallas, he's not with me. So one of the reasons Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away so that you can have the Holy Spirit, it's a, it's a physical, it's a practical advantage because Jesus can't be in two places at the same time. But there's a second reason. There's a, there's a second thing. And, and not, not only is there a practical reason, but there is a spiritual reason. Think about this. If I have Jesus in the flesh, I can watch him live his life. I can watch how he interacts with people. I can watch what he does when somebody is rude to him. I can watch when he, you know, I can watch how he deals with people. And I can say, okay, that's what Jesus did. He was kind, he was forgiving, he didn't hold a grudge, he was compassionate, he was selfless. And so he's my example. And so I'm gonna see, you know, I'm gonna set out to live like Jesus lived. And so I'm gonna imitate him. That's if I have him in the flesh. But if I have him in the spirit, in me, he can change me from the inside. You see, if all I have is Jesus in the flesh, like the disciples had Jesus in the flesh, for me, Christianity is imitation. Whatever Jesus does, you do it. Now, you won't do it as well as him, but that's what you're supposed to do. You just act like Jesus. But listen, friend, the Christian life is not primarily imitation. The Christian life is impartation. It is Christ in us changing us from the inside out. And so there's a spiritual reason. But you know what? There's another reason. There's a sentimental reason. 
I believe there's a sentimental reason that led Jesus to say, it is to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, you're not going to get the Holy Spirit. But if I go away, I'm going to send him to you. Think about this. If we had Jesus in the flesh, now we would still have to trust him. I think about the disciples on the Sea of Galilee. There they are. And uh, Jesus is on the boat, in the boat with them. He's sound asleep when the storm comes up. But he's nonetheless with them. They could see him. Now, they still had to trust him, which even though they had him in the flesh, they didn't trust him. They kind of panicked, and they said, Lord, save us. We're perishing. We're going to drown out here. So even if you had Jesus in the flesh, you would still have to trust him. But think about this. Since we don't have Jesus in the flesh, all we can do is trust. I mean, it's more faith. And what does the Scripture say? It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God, which the opposite of that must also be true. With faith, it is possible to please God. I think one of the reasons Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, is because in his visual absence, he's not absent, but visually we can't see him, it takes more faith for us today than it took for the disciples who could see Jesus. Now, it took faith, but I believe it takes more faith of us today. And so when we, remember what does it say in 2 Corinthians 5? We walk by faith, not by sight. And so when we trust Christ today, not being able to see him, I think it touches his heart, and I think it means a great deal to him. And so it is to our advantage to have Jesus in the spirit instead of having him in the flesh. Now, I want to show you a couple of more verses. Turn back to Matthew chapter 10, because we're thinking tonight about the Holy Spirit, and now I want to shift a gear here. We're not just thinking about, uh, we're not just thinking about uh, why it's to our advantage to have the Holy Spirit as opposed to Jesus in the flesh, but we're thinking about what the Holy Spirit can do and how he can change our life. Now, I said chapter 10. Go to Matthew chapter 11. And look in verse number 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, how is he going to give us rest today? Well, he's going to give us rest in the person of the Holy Spirit when he comes to live on the inside of us. Now, turn back to the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter number 30. And I could just reference these or talk really fast and quote part of these verses. But I want you to mark this. In Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 15, we have a very interesting thing here about this whole idea of rest. Isaiah 30, 15, one of the greatest verses in all the Old Testament. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. In other words, we're saved by repenting of our sins and trusting in Christ, and we have rest for our souls. But then the next part says, in quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Now tonight, I want to finish our time together on that word rest, R-E-S-T, because it is the Holy Spirit who can help us to find rest for our souls and rest for our minds. You know, when a person gets saved, one of the first things they notice is that their soul is at rest. They have peace with God. But how many of us would say, well, John, I know I'm saved and I do have that soul rest, but man, sometimes I feel restless. 
Sometimes my mind is not at rest. And sometimes, even though I know I'm saved, sometimes my spirit is not at rest. Well, we can all identify with that because we have all had that experience. But I was thinking about this late last night, and I was thinking, now, God, your spirit lives in me. And you want me to not only have rest in the sense of salvation, but you want me to have rest emotionally, mentally, every way around. You want me to be at rest and calmness. And it all has to do with the Holy Spirit living in me. Because remember, He's changing us from the inside out. He's giving the one thing about how God changes people, He changes us from the inside. And so I want, to just, I want to just mention this, and I'll not belabor this, but I would say this. If you want to have this, this godly rest tonight that's being talked about in Scripture, and, and Jesus talked about it in Matthew 11, Isaiah's talking about it. I think this little acrostic, I think it really kind of it touches on it. Number one, we have to remember his presence. Since we can't see Jesus, if, see, that's the thing. If we could see him, I wouldn't have to remember his presence. I could look up there he is. But since I can't see him, I have to remind myself, Jesus is not just with me. He is with me. But it's more than that. Jesus is in me. And I'm trying to describe how I see this in my mind. Like, when when I think about this, when I think about Jesus living in me, it's just like in my heart, right in this part of me, I just sense Jesus, it's almost like I can't visually see him, but I, I just almost can visually see him there. And so we have, to be, uh, we have to remember his presence. Number two, we have to enjoy his presence. You know, you can be in the presence of somebody and not enjoy them. Maybe there are 50 other people around. And uh, somebody in the, in the 50, and you're like, I'd like to get to know him, or I'd like to wonder what she's like, and yet all these people around... One of the things we have to do with God is we have to learn to enjoy His presence. The the old Westminster Confession of Faith, the chief purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever, to enjoy God, to enjoy the presence of God in your life. You know, one of the things that prevents us from enjoying God is noise. That's why it says, in quietness and in confidence shall be your peace. Quietness. I think most of us have so much noise. I was talking to a friend today. He texted me yesterday, and I called him back today. And he uh, he's devoted his whole life to news. Used to work for one of the stations here in Houston. And he was telling me about a friend of his who retired from one of the networks and uh, was, a, was a well-known anchorman. And he said recently to my friend, he said, you know, until I was away from the news desk a few months, I didn't realize, now listen to this phrase, I didn't realize how much insignificant information we're giving to the people. Now this is a man who devoted his whole life to giving people news. And he said, I had to be away from my job for a few months before I realized Much of what we're telling people is insignificant information. It's not going to change their life. It doesn't matter. We're filling filling up a 30-minute block of time. How does that tie into enjoying his presence? 
pretty obviously. I'm, I'm telling you this. It is possible to put so much stuff in your head that you lose your awareness of the presence of God. I was telling my dad last week, I said, you know, one of the advantages the monks had over us is that they were serious about, not just serious, we're serious about God, but they lived a life of silence, solitude, and surrender where they were seeking to hear the voice of God. And I was describing that, and he said to me, now, God has not called you to be a monk. What are you thinking about that? I said, I don't want to be a monk, because I don't even think that you should be a monk, because they, Jesus called us to go to take the gospel to the whole world. I don't see how you can fulfill the Great Commission in a monastery. That's just my opinion. I'm not saying that critically. I'm just saying, for me, I wouldn't, but, I, but don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You've got to give it to people who said, we're going to turn, out the no, turn off the noise so that we can hear the voice of God. Enjoy his presence. But you can't enjoy his presence if you don't have some quietness. And that's why every year in January, I don't know how long we'll do that little media fast. You know, I know some people probably think we've done that so many years. Do, make up a new one. Well, maybe one day we'll make up a new kind. You Do whatever you want to do, certainly. But I think that media fast is so important because we have to turn off the noise so that we can enjoy his presence. I'll tell you this, my own testimony. On the days in my life when I turn out the noise and just say, I mean, I don't pray all day, not at all, but I mean, I just have turned a lot of noise off. I can hear the voice of God much more clearly. And I, I just believe this. I believe, let me ask you this question. When's the last time God told you anything? Well, that's a deep question. It's a good question. I have to ask my, when's the last time? I believe this. God would speak to us a lot more if we would get quiet and listen. And just say, Lord, I'm turning out some noise because I want to just, I want to hear what you have to say. To enjoy his presence. Number, or the, the next one there. Be sensitive to his presence. Now that's obvious. We don't want to do anything that would grieve the Holy Spirit or hurt him or, you know, we don't want to sin. Sin's the problem with everything. I mean, sin messes everything up. And so we just, and, and, and we all still sin sometimes, but we want to be sensitive to his presence and say, God, help me not to sin. And then the T, tell God and tell others what his presence means to you. And that's why I think for me, being in a monastery wouldn't cut it because how are you going to tell, you know, lots of people about Jesus and how they could be saved if you're, if you're separated from the world? So God doesn't want us to be, we're in the world, but we're not supposed to be of the world. I think, I don't, most of us though, our problem is not that we're living a monastic life. I can assure you, the problem most of us have is we've got about as much noise in our lives as those who are not even saved, and we wonder why God doesn't ever speak to us. Well, God might say, I actually have been speaking. You just couldn't hear it because there was too much noise going on. That phrase, in quietness and in confidence, shall be your strength. But you know what's sad? I'll say this, and then we'll stop. The sad thing about that verse in Isaiah Chapter 30, I mean, that's a tremendous verse. God says, in returning and rest, you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Well, that's a great verse. Yeah, but there's one more phrase in that verse at the end. 
but you would not. But you would not. You would not repent. You would not return to me. You would not rest in me. And you would not get quiet. It's interesting. In quietness and in confidence. In other words, God groups those two concepts together. Quietness and confidence. You know, one of the best things you could do, I'm not, I can't tell anybody to do anything. It's a suggestion. One of the best things you could do one night before you went to bed would be to turn the TV off and to sit in a chair and to say to God, God, I'm going to sit here in quietness for 15 minutes before I go to bed. If you've got a picture of Jesus in your house, you can look at that. And just sit there in quietness and see if this doesn't. I, this is what happens to me. Whenever I, do, whenever I really do that and get quiet before the Lord, within a matter, I would say, of 60 seconds to maybe five minutes, I can feel my faith rising. And the reason is because when I sit in quietness before the Lord, my awareness of His presence with me is rising. And when my awareness of His presence rises, then my faith rises. In quietness and in confidence shall be your strength. Amen.